Well, in the animal kingdom, sheep kind of get the short end of the stick, don't they? They have limited intelligence. As we would say, they're a few fries short of a combo. They have bad habits. They wander around. They're often timid and stubborn. They are frightened, if you've ever been around them, at almost nothing. And yet they are a lot of work if you've ever been around a sheep. And they are defenseless, essentially. They are helpless. Have you ever seen a sheep that is cast a sheep that is or cast off. You ever seen that? So the sheep lays down and they roll over in such a way that they're on their backs and they can't get up. They redefine the term, I've fallen and I can't get up. All right? Their legs aren't long enough and they're not strong enough to get up. And within 24 hours, unless someone comes like a shepherd and lifts them up, they will die because the gases in their stomach will kill them. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are helpless. One guy said it this way. He says, the fact that sheep are not extinct, extinct may be nature's best evidence against evolution. But spiritually speaking, did you know that the Bible likens us, human beings, without a shepherd to sheep more than anything else? They are the best equivalent to human beings. Without a shepherd, we are helpless. Without a shepherd, we are defenseless we are stubborn, we are frightened, we are timid, we are creatures of bad habits, we are cast off, we wander away. You know the verse, like sheep, we have gone astray, each to our own way. And the world we live in doesn't help us a whole lot with what the Bible would depict as a first century agrarian society with sheep. In the 21st century, um, we look at sheep in an interesting way, and in a very different way, it doesn't help us. I was in a CHL class, yes, I will protect you, about five years ago, and all I remember about the class was, I'm a sheepdog, not a sheep. A sheepdog, not a sheep. You hear that moniker around, don't be a sheep, be a sheepdog. Well, see, in the 21st century, what we do is we drive sheep, people who own sheep, they drive them. Um, there are pictures that you have, maybe even in your own home, of thick grass that you see in sheep there in the thick grass, pasturing in this thick grass. We eat lamb. It's a delicacy. But see, in the first century, they didn't drive sheep. They led sheep. A shepherd would lead and care for the sheep. They didn't eat them in Israel. They used them for their wool. That meant that they cared for them their whole lives, and they knew them. They knew them, their own sheep, by name. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 9, he says something tragic in Matthew chapter 9. When he looks out in this culture and understanding those things about the imagery of a sheep in first century, and he looks at his people and he says, they are sheep without a shepherd. And that is tragic. We are sheep, C3. Who's your shepherd? Are you going it alone do you have a shepherd? Or maybe you have a shepherd. Maybe Jesus is your shepherd, and yet you feel cast off. See, Jesus is the one true good shepherd. He owns the sheep. He knows the sheep. He loves the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He protects the sheep, and he sees the sheep. And he leads us to greener pastures. Do you believe that? Turn with me to John chapter 10. We'll be in verses 1, 
uh, excuse me, 11 through 21 and then 27 and 8. And as you turn there, just be reminded, be reminded in the last few weeks we've been in a series in the book of John, right? Um, I am, the I am statements of Jesus that he makes about himself. So we're discovering who Jesus says, what Jesus says about himself. We've seen Jesus saying that he is the bread of life, that he gives sustenance. We've seen him saying that he is the very light of the world that illumines truth and reality and the path that we ought to take. And last week, Ross did a great job of walking through the truth that Jesus says, I am the door, or I am the way, I'm the way to the Father, I'm the way to heaven, and I offer also abundant life. And today we come to Jesus saying these incredible words, I am the good shepherd. What images come to mind when you think of what Jesus says? I am the good shepherd. See, today you're going to see a warning to the sheep. You're going to see a truth claim again that Jesus makes about himself. You're going to see the way Jesus relates to his sheep because there is such deep relationship and intimacy in this passage that you ought to, as a believer in Christ, if you are a sheep of his pasture, ought to understand and feel this morning that Jesus is your good shepherd. And then he's going to tell us a really important truth about the flock that we're in. So let me read it. John 10, look along with me. There's a Bible um, on your road, in your chair, 896, page 896. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. And he cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep, second time he said it. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life third time, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord voluntarily. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Verse 19. And there was again, like every other I am statement, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, or he is insane, why listen to him? And others said, are not, these are not the words of one who is oppressed, by a demon, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're saying that because only God opens the eyes of the blind. So look at verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13, Jesus calls the so-called shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders here, the Pharisees, he calls them not shepherds, but what? He calls them hired hands. So your first thought today is beware of the self-serving counterfeit shepherds that are out there. This is what Jesus is saying to the people and he's saying it directly to these Pharisees who view themselves as shepherds. He says, you're not a shepherd, you're a hired hand. These are fighting words, y'all. I don't know if you've noticed this through these statements, but Jesus is rattling the cages of these religious leaders. You think you're this, but you're actually a hired hand. 
See, in Israel, one of the interesting things about people who own sheep, they would often farm those sheep out to other people to take care of. They were hired shepherds. So many of the shepherds, literally the shepherds in Israel that would take care of literal sheep, they didn't own those sheep. They were taking care of people who owned sheep. And sometimes there were even different people that would have one shepherd and different sheep in it. And so Jesus is saying, you're like the hired shepherd. And when the wolves come and the things get tough, all you really want is money and you're not going to go and care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. So we need to be aware of the self-serving counterfeit shepherds. A number of weeks ago before we started this series, I did a one-off sermon on the lost sheep and the lost coin. And we went to Ezekiel 34, but I'm going to go back there again because you need to see, you need to see what God thinks about the shepherds of Israel who don't shepherd, who don't really care for the sheep. They're just out for their own self-interest. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 4, God says to prophesy through Ezekiel to the people, specifically the leaders of Israel, the shepherds. A word from the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, ah, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. See, they're self-serving. They're not caring for the sheep. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have have not been strengthened. The sick you have have not been healed. The injured you have have not been bound up. You haven't cared for them. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. This is an indictment from Jesus directly to the Pharisees for their actions and their non-actions. And so the call for us is to beware of counterfeit shepherds. Let me ask you a question. On your street or around you, maybe you've even done this. Have you ever, um, you ever seen the dog walker? Like you pay the person to walk your dog and the, the person has like seven or eight dogs and you've got to swerve around the street. We have a lady on our street I think's a dog walker. If she's not, she's got a whole lot of dogs. She's got like seven leashes and they're all around. What would happen? Ladies walking the dog. Let's say you're the hired hand. You're the dog watcher. And you're making money off this, and you're trying to care for these animals. Let's say a couple of Rockwallers show up on the street. And they look pretty mean. And they look like they need lunch. And they start attacking those dogs. What are you going to do as the hired hand? Like, I, I don't need a brisket taken out of my thigh. I don't know about you, but I, 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 may, I may let go of those dogs. I'm not probably going to give my life for those dogs. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying they're in it for themselves. And I look around at our day and I look at false teaching that's all around us. And we, it's very hard often to see up front, but that's the way the devil works. And not only do you see false teachers, we see even in the church bullies, people who are in it for themselves. We see that in our political structure for power. You know what the job of an elder in a church is? It's to be an under-shepherd. It's to be a shepherd of people. Paul said it this way in Acts chapter 20. He was leaving Ephesus. And he said he gave 
them a call. And he said, at the, before he left to go to Jerusalem, he says, pay careful attention, elders, under shepherds, to yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church that has been obtained by the blood of Jesus. And I know after I, my departure, fierce wolves will come in amongst you, meaning from without and from within, not sparing the flock. See, elders of C3, speaking to myself, Jim, Wheeler, Chris, Brent, it's our job to protect the flock from that. And yet, because we are fallen, there's always, in whatever area in your life where you effectively have authority, you effectively have power. It is always the temptation, whether it's in the church, whether it's you as a parent over your children or a spouse or in your job, there's always the temptation to use your power and use your authority in ways that are self-serving like we see here. And so even in the church, we have to be careful with power and authority and listen if you think or see me trying to wield power in a way like this, you need to come talk to me. You see, because I am accountable to you as well. Jim is accountable to you. Chris is accountable to you. Wheeler is accountable to you. But the role in the church of the elder is to pastor, to shepherd the flock, to care for the flock. And that involves a lot of different hard things. Right, men? See, very few of us start out as self-serving. It's not our desire to be power-hungry. It's not our desire to lord over people. I want you to think about that, as it, particularly as it relates to your, your kids, mom and dad. Paul David Tripp has this book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And surely shepherding a child means that there's the rod and the staff for protection and for discipline. But it also means you're molding their heart. And sometimes that needs discipline. And some families may need more of that. But it means you're molding their heart. You're not just wielding your authority over them. And that is hard. <laughs> if you have kids, that is hard. The balance of loving and caring and nurturing and disciplining. It's a hard thing. But what a great encouragement to us and how we use our power. But at the end of the day, even well-meaning shepherds will let you down. There's only one good shepherd that you need to look toward. So this we need to be aware of. This is a warning we need to be aware of. Who do we entrust ourselves to, though? If we're not supposed to entrust ourselves here, as Jesus is saying, to these self-serving counterfeit shepherds, who do we entrust ourselves to? And Jesus is making a pretty bold statement here when he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. There's an emphasis, I think, here on the. This is a claim. It means I'm singular. I am the one good shepherd. Not only is he rattling the Pharisees' cages, he's claiming to be the only shepherd. How many of you are, I'm not going to ask that question. Some of you are Aggies, some of you are Red Raiders, okay? Some of you are, are Baylor Bears, 
Let me ask you a question. On Sunday morning in September or whenever we play, for example, the Jacksonville Jaguars, there's a guy on the Jacksonville Jaguars now. He's been traded a couple times, but his name is Malcolm Brown. Malcolm's from Brenham, Texas. He went to the University of Texas. So when they do the intros to the game, and Malcolm Brown from your TV screen says, the University of Texas, how does it make your blood boil? Does it? If you're not from the University of Texas, your blood's boiling. Not the University of Texas. There are many universities in Texas. That's kind of what's happening here. Jesus is saying, I am the, I am the good shepherd. You guys are hired hands. You don't care for the people. You don't love the people. You don't know the people. You don't call them by name. You want something from them. This is a massive truth claim. Jesus is saying he is the only good shepherd. And four times in this passage he says, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And notice, he does it voluntarily. You know the atheist argument out there that says God is this awful being who kills his son? Jesus laid his life down voluntarily. This is clear in this passage. Not only did he say he would lay his life down, but he said he would take it up again multiple times. They don't really know what he's talking about here, do they? They don't get it, but he's speaking of his death, and he's speaking of his resurrection. This is the proof of him being the good shepherd. This is the evidence, the example that he sets in laying his life down for the sheep, unlike the hired hands. And look at the response. Again, in verse 19, there's division, right? Does he have a demon? Is he insane? And others are saying, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What they're saying is, is that only God can do this. So we're confused. And later on, they're going to stone him in the next passage. They're going to try to stone him and kick him out of the temple. Because of who he claims to be. They got it right. They understood very clearly with all these I am statements that Jesus was not claiming to be some good prophet who's one amongst many. He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be the Good Shepherd. And if you know your Old Testament, the metaphor of shepherd is used for God. Psalm 23 has to come to mind, right? That the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Psalm 23, 1. Psalm 100, verse 3, speaks of the Lord as the shepherd of Israel. And then you come to the New Testament and you see Jesus saying, He is the good shepherd. But look at it. What kind of shepherd is he? Isaiah 53, 6. I referred to it before. He's speaking of the Messiah to come. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to our own way. And the Lord laid on him, Christ, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. And so here you even have the good shepherd who loves his sheep also laying his life down as a lamb. That's your Savior. You know, I gave you an example of a dog walker who didn't own the sheep. But some of you have had a dog for a long time and you know your dog and you love your dog and you care for your dog and you call it by name or other names sometimes. And if you went and walked your dog and those same Rockwellers showed up, I'm going to venture to guess that you're going to give it a go. 
that you're going to try to protect and care for your dog because you own it and you love it and you know it. This is a picture of the owner. Do you notice that here? He's the owner. He's making that point because there's a lot of hired hands that are taking care of other people's sheep. So he knows you in ways that others don't. And he cares for you in ways that other people can't care for you. So you can trust him. And so we entrust ourselves to the one and only self-sacrificing good shepherd. Have you made that decision this morning? Have you entrusted yourself to the good shepherd? Have you confessed your sin and repented of your sin and turned to him by faith and repentance and said, you're my good shepherd. I'm sick of trying to do this myself. I can't do it. I've got a friend named Joel. Joel is a missionary in South Africa. He's from Texas. He and his wife went to South Africa, Joburg. Joburg's like one of the worst places in the world to live for crime. But he was called, he and his wife were called to Joburg. They have their own family, and they basically have an orphanage in Joburg and a school that they run as a family with a few other people helping. And Joel, about a month ago, got COVID. And it got really bad, and it is really bad. But he's been posting on social media. He's in ICU. And here's what he says. Not trying to be dramatic at all, but death is all around me. Today the man in the bed next to me seems to be in his last days of life. His family is here grieving. Each day and night we see, hear things of those being wheeled out to have their physical body laid to rest somewhere. The reality of death is sometimes overwhelming to me. I am thankful that I know the God who saves and will one day be with him forever, whether it's 50 years from now or five minutes from now. Oh, friend, what is it that, what if that is you today? Have you made peace with the Almighty, loving Father? Tomorrow is promised to none of us. He is gracious, and, we'll just rece- and he would receive you to himself. Call on him in saving faith today. Jesus is your answer. I love every one of you, and I want to spend eternity which, with each of you. You see, when you're in the ICU, you are imparting Christ's urgency to other people around you. To know the good shepherd as you do. See, Joel is cared for by his shepherd. He is loved. He is known by name. Have you entrusted yourself to the self-sacrificing good shepherd? Many of you have done that. Many of you have trusted in the good shepherd. But you know that pasture that you're looking at across the way looks really good. So your third idea is this. And it comes out of verse 14 and 27 and 8. Not only do we need to entrust ourselves to the good shepherd, we need to follow the good shepherd's loving leadership. I want you to notice the relational, intimate words in this passage when Jesus speaks to them about his sheep and the way he talks about the sheep and the way his sheep respond to him. Do you see it there? Verse 14, again he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There's this intimacy of relationship here. And then verse 27 and 28, this is kind of the 
the response or I response. The sheep, believers in Christ, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So he knows the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He sees them. He protects them. And they know him. They listen to him. They follow him. You can't help but think of Psalm 23 when you think of these words. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Green pastures and still waters are a place of rest. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he leads and he cares. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, that's protection from and discipline to, they comfort me or literally strengthen me. You know, 21st century again, it's hard to look at this and, and see the right picture. I had alluded to green pastures before. But green pastures in Israel, I just want you to put that thought in your head. What does a green pasture look like in Israel? I mean, is it the like alfalfa that's like four foot tall? Is there any of that in Israel? I mean, granted, there are, there's some farming land in Israel. It's farming land for food. Shepherd, sheep don't usually get to go into the farming land for food. They graze somewhere else. You know where they graze? They graze in the kind of middle um, eastern part of Israel. Those are primary places in which shepherds take sheep. But if you saw the hillside, you would say, what do these sheep eat? Rock or dirt? But you see, shepherds take their sheep to places that look like that. And so you see this hillside, and in the morning and in the evening, the Mediterranean Sea gives off some cool air, and there's humidity in the air. And that humidity touches rocks and the cleft of these rocks, and it falls down, maybe like the weeds in your garden, and it falls down, and it produces just a little bit of grass. And so when so in Psalm 23, David, the shepherd of the sheep, says he leads me to green pastures. He's not thinking about the plush alfalfa field, all right? Okay, I'm a Christian, and I have all this alfalfa, and it'll never go away, all right? For today. He has sustenance for today, and it's viewed as green pasture, and that's what God's care is like. I mean, if you want to talk about the reality of life, that's the way life is. But he takes care of you as you trust the shepherd to lead you to green pastures for daily sustenance, for daily care. That's the Christian life, isn't it? I've got to trust God today for what I need today. See, the prosperity gospel says it's that alfalfa field. But the gospel, the true gospel says, no, you need to trust me today. And that's the way the Christian life is. To lead me today, to care for me today as the shepherd on the sheep. Lead me to green pastures. So are you trusting the green pasture that Jesus has led you to today? Are you experiencing the love? You've got to see intimacy and relationship in this text between shepherd and sheep. 
Are you experiencing the love and care of the good shepherd right now? Are you too busy looking for greener pastures? Are you too busy looking for greener pastures? Perhaps in your marriage even. Where God has given you this wonderful wife or husband. and Maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. Are you invested in the pasture that God has led you to? With your wife, with your kids, with your job. Are you discontent? So he brings green pastures, he brings still waters, and we trust him in that. So are you following the Good Shepherd's loving leadership? We've talked a lot about the Good Shepherd. We've talked a lot about the Good Shepherd's relationship with the sheep and the sheep's role. There's something about the flock here in this text. And you catch it there in verse 16. And I have other sheep, he throws this in here, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, not many, and one shepherd. See, the idea that comes out of this is that we need to embrace and invest in, his, in Jesus' intentionally. This is his intention. He calls people to his gate. He opens the gate and, and brings people in of div- that are diverse. So we need to embrace and invest in an intently diverse flock. This has to do with the mission of God, right? There's one shepherd and one flock. Do you look at the body of Christ in that way? Surely, this is our fold right here. And we're accountable here. But there's a bigger C church that is the flock. And contextually, here's what's happening. Here's who Jesus is talking about. He's he's speaking to who? He's speaking primarily to, to Jews here. Speaking to these Pharisees, a Jewish people. So the clear implication, if, and if you look forward, it's really clear. He's speaking about Gentiles. And when I say Gentiles, I mean everybody else who's not a Jew. And I'm looking around the room. How many Jewish folks do we have here? Not seeing many. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God opens his flock up to Gentiles as well? I am. That there's diversity amongst unity in the flock. See, God's plan from eternity past, and you see it in the book of Genesis, you see his heart for the nations, that even when he comes to Abram, and he calls him by name, and he says, you will be my people, and through you what? All the families of the earth will be blessed through Messiah. And you see it all the way through the Old Testament, the mystery of the church, that God not only loves the Jew, but he loves the Gentile, everybody else. And then Jesus comes, and before he ascends to heaven, he gives the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of who? Just the Jews? No. The Samaritans. Whoa. Jews weren't real happy about it. And to the ends of the earth. And then you get to Galatians, and Paul says, no, no, no. The gospel's not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, slaves, free, all the ethnicities. Male and female. Class doesn't matter. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. Do you embrace that? Do you want to invest in that kind of flock? It doesn't look like you. I was at the conference this last week, and when you get a lot of people together from a lot of different places, it, it's, it's beautiful flavor. 
all right? And you get them worshiping together. You ever been in that place where a lot of people together from a lot of different places across the world, and they're worshiping together? That's an incredible opportunity because it just makes me think about heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I've got a friend named Byron, and Byron lives in Clear Lake. Byron is the whitest dude you will ever meet. All right, he's about six foot tall. He's also bald, so his white noggin just shines through. Byron's from Alabama, and he's about the whitest dude you will ever meet. Sorry. And yet, at 17, he went to Mexico. And he went on a mission trip to Mexico, and he fell in love with the culture. He fell in love with the people. And he felt God, even at that point, as a 17-year-old, say, I'm called to minister to Hispanic culture. And I don't know what that looks like. He goes to college, gets his undergrad in Spanish, learns Spanish, meets his wife, Anita, from Lima, Peru, and he pastors a church in Dallas for 10 years. And then he comes to Clear Creek Community Church. And I don't know if you've recognized, but Houston is a very diverse place. In Hispanic culture, there's a whole lot of Roman Catholicism that's rooted in ritual, and there's a whole lot of charismatic stuff that's not rooted in the gospel. And Byron planted Vita Church down south, Houston, about four or five years ago. And when I was a missions pastor of another church, I'm like, we're jumping in on that. We're going to support that. And they were at this conference, Byron and Anita, and we're singing this worship song. We've been singing in English the whole time. And then a couple of choruses come, and they changed it to Spanish. And I look over, because I know them, and I see them worshiping. And I see their countenance. It was already lifted, and now it's really lifted. And I see Anita get her phone out and record it. It's worshiping God. And that's a beautiful picture. I hope you see that as a beautiful thing. Because when you come to the book of Revelation, let me show you what you see in heaven. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes of people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And you come down to verse 15. Therefore, We are before the throne of God and serve him daily, day and night in his temple. And who sits on the throne will shelter them, shelter them with their presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Lamb, shepherd. Diversity, unity. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you embrace those in God's flock that doesn't, don't look exactly like you? They don't talk like you. Are you investing in the big C church? And beyond distinction, because distinctions are hard. Cultures are hard to put together. But this is the way God has built his church. He's built his church to bring him glory with diversity and unity of the gospel. That's a beautiful thing. And when the world looks at that and go, how do those people get along? The rest of the world can't get along because of cultural differences. But the body of Christ can get along. How is that? Because we're under the gospel. 
And I just want to take diversity to a, a, another level, and it's not ethnic like it is here, of what Jesus is saying, but I just want to say this because I feel this too. See, we often, we, don't, we might not divide and go to a different church over it, but oftentimes we looked at, all we see is distinction. You know, they parent their kids a little different than we do. Can we be in their community group? You know, uh, out of a hundred things politically, there are about three things that I disagree with that person on. So can we hang out? <laughs> right? That's what we get. Just, just be honest. Man, they, they homeschool their kids, or they do private school, or they do, they do public school. I'm out on that one, I guess. They have different hobbies than I do. They have a different personality. I'm an Enneagram 7, and there are three, so we can't really hang out. Right? I mean, there are smaller distinctions that we make, tend to make decisions on. I, I'm speaking to myself as well. See, Jesus' church is not a bunch of Django Fett-like clones. Look, act, think like me. That's for Star Wars folks this morning. We're not clones. God's made us unique and different. And yet we're in the body of Christ with different gifts and different personalities and different thoughts under the truth of the gospel to display his glory in this world. That's how he's chosen to do it. Because listen, he calls us by name. He calls us to himself. So this is his deal. He's built it this way. And it brings him the most glory. So are you embracing and investing? Listen, I'm not trying to give any of us a guilt trip per se. All right? To go do X, Y, or Z. To have these kind of friends or those kinds of friends. But I do want you to see the intention of the diversity in the flock of God. That God wants and God embraces and God uses for his glory. That's what I want you to see. So we need to beware of hired hands, we need to trust the good shepherd, we need to know him intimately, and we need to invest in his flock. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament because we see Jesus being the good shepherd here. And then the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 speaks of Jesus not only as the good shepherd for laying his life down, but he speaks of, the, of a great shepherd because of the resurrection. So he is good and he is great. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is speaking about elders, but he's also speaking about Jesus' return. And he says, not only is he good, not only is he great, but he is the chief. He is the chief shepherd who will one day come again. And in the meantime, we live in a broken world. We live through hard, so we need to know and believe that Jesus is good and he's great and he's sovereign over all these things. Even the junk that happens in our lives. There's a lady, a number of years ago, her name was Jessica Council and her husband Clint and they had a child. And she was pregnant with a second child. And she found out in her second pregnancy that she had cancer. And it was bad. And so the doctors said, we still need to start chemotherapy and radiation. And Clint and Jessica said, well, what's it going to do to the baby? Will there be adverse effects to the baby? Yes. And so they said, no, we will not do chemotherapy. We will not do radiation. And then they came back and said, you really need to abort your baby because this is growing and you're going to die. And again, 
They said, no. We'll not abort our child. And at 24 weeks, cancer growing, Jessica had her child, Jesse. Child lived. Two weeks later, she said goodbye. See, this all-knowing good shepherd had led Jessica to heaven and Jesse to earth. And here's what Clint said with a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, with a lot of honesty. Believers in Christ knew the good shepherd. He said, God is to be praised, my friends. Do not doubt God. Do not be angry with him for me. I'm privileged to have had a wife who was so full of love, the love of the Father. Rejoice with me, brothers and sisters. God has blessed Jessica in taking her to a place of perfect peace and no pain. I must be thankful for a time that I had with her rather than ungrateful for all the things we never got to do together. We must give thanks in all things for this. For this is the will of God in Christ, grace and peace to all. It sounds like a man and a woman who knew a good shepherd, a great shepherd, and the chief shepherd that they had entrusted themselves to. And not only that, what a picture of the gospel where Jesus would lay down his life for you and for me. That we might have, as Jesus would say in this passage, eternal life, that you would not perish and have eternal life. See, Jesus takes your ailment upon himself. He's borne your sins on a cross that you might live. So our takeaway today is to entrust ourselves to the good shepherd's care. You know, I said in the beginning, sheep are helpless. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep wander away on their own. But a sheep that sticks close to a shepherd to the shepherd are protected, are secure, are loved, are known, are cared for. They are the most loved and cared for and protected things on the planet. And trust yourself to the good shepherd's care. Let me pray. Father, you are good. You have sent your son who is not only a shepherd but a lamb who laid down his life for us. Lord, I pray for us, I pray that you would give us discernment through your spirit and wisdom, to discern truth from error, to see hired hands for what they are, but cling to the good shepherd and trust ourselves to him. I pray that we would choose not to look at other pastures that give us the mirage of looking greener than your pasture that you give us today that we continue to follow and trust in each day. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your flock, as people a part of your flock, that we would see the display of your glory in a, in a flock that is distinct and unified. Lord, I pray for unity in our church. I pray for unity in the Big C Church in a world that is crazy, that we would see the blessing of diversity and unity under the gospel, that the light of Christ might shine even brighter. We love you, and we thank you for your care for us. We thank you that we are loved, so I pray for one, pray for people here this morning who are going through difficulty and hardship. 
that you will meet them where they're at. Even when they are cast off and not even wanting help, that you will come and care for them and call them by name and sit them up and put them on your path. We thank you that the work that you do, because we confess that we are sheep who wander left to ourselves, who go our own way left to ourselves. So we thank you for Jesus who rescues lost sheep like us. In Jesus' name, amen.